So like I just mentioned to the kids a few minutes ago, today is All Saints Day, although it's not actually All Saints Day. That would have been November 1st, which would have been uh, Monday this past week. But today is as good of a day as any to celebrate those extraordinary and those ordinary saints that have marked our daily lives. Now, I didn't grow up with the saints. Uh, the reason was is because we believed, we were taught that we had direct access to Jesus. And we were told to go to Jesus with any problem, no matter how big or how small. So in high school, had a big algebra test, didn't study for it. In a pinch, you could pray to Jesus and he could help you to write down the correct answer. <laughs> Lost your favorite pair of earrings or your favorite whatever, pray to Jesus and he could help you to find it. Uh, car breaks down the side of the road, before you call the mechanic, better call Jesus. He might come and help you out. Um, even in the Presbyterian Church, we have a, a different understanding of saints, certainly a different understanding of the saints than you'd find in the Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox churches. And in some ways, it's different than you'd find in other Protestant denominations, the Episcopal Church and the Lutheran Church. I had an elder at my last congregation who would say at new members' classes that in the uh, Catholic Church, when you're baptized or confirmed, they give you a saint. But in the Presbyterian Church, we ask, what committee do you want to be on? <laughs> there are those saints that we all recognize, those names that we all recognize, those great figures from the Bible, St. Mary, uh, St. Peter, St. Thomas, St. James, all of those sorts of folks. There are also ones beyond the Bible, ones like St. Francis, who has an affinity for God's creation, had an affinity for God's creation. I guess that means that for all eternity now, he's going to be forever a birdbath in somebody's yard. <laughs> but then there are those saints that perhaps we don't recognize as well, the, the sort of obscure ones. We've all had those experiences of stumbling into the bathroom early in the morning and catching a glimpse of ourselves in the mirror and thinking, oh gosh, is that what I really look like? In those moments, you need to pray to St. Drogo, a man who is apparently so hideous in appearance that he is now the patron saint of unattractive people. <laughs> I guess that needs a patron saint too. He's also the patron saint of coffee shops, so I don't know how those necessarily connect. Maybe it's just the, if you, once you have your morning coffee, you feel less hideous, I guess. I don't Then there's St. Denis, the first bishop of Paris. Uh, St. Denis was arrested, uh, tortured, and then beheaded during the uh, Roman persecution uh, that happened in the 3rd century. After he was beheaded, St. Denis picked up his head and walked on the road for several miles, all while preaching a sermon on repentance. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. You know, as a preacher, I think he was just showing off, but he's now the, the patron saint of headaches. Being a parent, for those of, those of us who are parents, it's a, a rewarding experience, it's a joyful thing, but our kids can get on our last nerves sometime, can't they? And in those moments, you should pray to St. Clotilde. St. Clotilde uh, tried her best to make her children upstanding and decent people in society, uh, but despite those efforts, when her husband, the king, died, her, her kids fought so endlessly about who gets to succeed the throne that St. Clotilde was like, I'm done with all this. She left the kingdom, left her kids, and went to serve the poor in France for the rest of her life. She is the patron saint of disappointing children. 
there are all of these saints, and, and for a long time, it, the saints sort of struck me as odd. Why would you talk to the saints when you can talk to Jesus directly? Why would you talk to one of his subordinates when you can go right to the boss? But then I've had these experiences in my life that have transformed the way that I understand the saints. And one of the most profound was right before Axel's, my son Axel's first surgery. So Axel and I, we both have this very rare, very mild genetic condition. Simply put, our eyelids don't function properly. So in utero, they don't, they don't form properly, and so they don't function uh, very well. And so there's a, a scale of severity. Some of us will never need surgery. Many of us will to help our eyelids open so that we can see better. And the hope is that you, that you can wait to perform that surgery until you're a little bit older. So three to five is that perfect range for that. I was three years old when I had mine. But Axel's was so severe that he needed to have surgery to correct this at just seven weeks old. Exactly. That's exactly how I felt, too. Um, so we found a surgeon. We looked around a little bit in Missouri for a surgeon that was near us, but we couldn't find one. We actually found one in Ann Arbor. We were living in, in Missouri still, but we found one in Ann Arbor. And this is just an aside, but we were driving to and from the surgery, and Heather and I said to each other, uh, as we're driving down 94 back towards Chicago, towards her mom's house, you know, Michigan would be a great place to live. Didn't expect that to get an applause, but. <laughs> so anyway, the, the day comes for axle surgery, and Heather and I are already nervous that our seven-week-old is, seven is going uh, for surgery. It's an outpatient procedure, but it does require general anesthesia. And so to add to our anxiety, um, Axel, when he was born, had pneumonia. Um, we had a little rough entry into parenthood. Um, so he had pneumonia, uh, so we were extra nervous about him going under anesthesia, um, so he's in the pre-surgery bay. Heather and I are with him. Um, just before the nurse anesthetist takes him back, uh, Heather pulls out a prayer card to St. Mary that her grandmother, who's also named Mary, gave to her. And she starts to pray this prayer to Mary. Uh, they take Axel back for surgery. And I'll never forget what Heather said to me in that moment. She said, I just wanted to talk to another mom. It still gets me to this day. And of course, she wanted to talk to another mom. Of course, she wanted to talk to someone like Mary. Mary, who understands what it's like to go through difficult things with your child. Mary, who had to flee with Jesus when he was an infant to flee from Herod into Egypt. Mary, who watched her son go through difficult things. Of course, she wanted to talk to Mary. And and in that moment, I started to understand why people talk to the saints, is that sometimes you need to talk to somebody who understands in a particular way the things that you are going through, that they are part of the community that supports us, that, that helps us to become the people that we seek to be. You know, those moments where we do something really wrong, where we really mess something up, we think that there's no way back from it. Perhaps it is a good thing to talk to St. Peter, Peter who understand what it was like to do something so wrong that he thought that there was no way that he could ever come back from it, and, and yet Peter can teach us something about God's immeasurable grace. Jesus on the lake shore saying, feed my sheep and take care of my lambs. Or in those moments where you're having those profound questions, questioning the sort of traditional theology that we have been given, perhaps St. Thomas can be someone who can help. 
Thomas, who's given that name, Doubting Thomas, which I think is completely unfair to him. But Thomas, who's standing there after Easter, after the resurrection, and, and disciples say, Jesus has been raised. We saw him alive. He's standing right where you were. And, and, and Thomas says, there's no way I'm going to believe that unless I see it myself. Or perhaps in those moments as you're rejoicing at and marveling in God's creation, it's nice to know that St. That Francis is uh, singing and rejoicing alongside with us. As someone who has struggled with uh, mental health at certain points in my life with anxiety and depression, Heather and I have this little uh, St. Dymphna on one of our keychains. And St. Dymphna is the, the patron saint of mental illness. And so it's nice to know in those moments that there's someone who's close to the heart of God who can explain to God and help God to understand more fully your experiences. All of these saints make up what the, the writer to the Hebrews calls the great cloud of witnesses. The great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us as we worship, that surrounds us at every moment of our lives. Now, the book of Hebrews is a little bit different when it comes to some of the other books in the New Testament. We don't know who wrote it. There is no one who has ascribed authorship. We're also not sure who the, the community of the Hebrews was. Uh, but all of that being said, we have called it the, the letter to the Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews. But that's not entirely accurate. The scholar and preacher Tom Long says that the book of Hebrews has all of the markings of an early Christian sermon. So Hebrews is a sermon given by an unknown preacher to an unknown congregation. And even though we don't know exactly who they are, we can get a sense as we read the book of Hebrews that this is a congregation that is exhausted and weary and worn out that they are tired of trying to do church, they are tired of being oddballs in society, tired of, of trying to pray when it feels like they're talking to the wall. They're exhausted and weary and worn out. But that doesn't arise in a vacuum. There is an, a sense, too, as we read through the book of Hebrews, that this congregation is facing persecution, as was widespread in the earliest days of the church. And so they are weary, worn out, want to give up, want to be done with the whole thing. And as a result, a lot of people in that community are walking away from the faith, giving up on the faith, giving up on Jesus altogether. And so the preacher in this sermon that we've called the book of Hebrews is admonishing and encouraging his congregation to not give up on the faith that has been with them this far. He, he doesn't deny the difficult realities, but he says, stick with it. Don't give up on Jesus. He says, in fact, look at the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds you. In the section right before what I read, uh, the preacher goes through a long list of those great heroes of faith. People like Noah, who despite the fact that he endured insults while building the ark, insults that uh, the community of the Hebrews no doubt endured as well, despite the fact that he was insulted, he continued to build the ark and he saved his family. Or think about Abraham. We remember Abraham from our summer sermon series, looking at that messy, dysfunctional family reunion. And, and Abraham is probably chief among the messy and dysfunctional people in that family, right? But Abraham, even though he had never known this God before and did not know where he was being called to go, Abraham went anyway. Or look at someone like Moses' mother, the preacher says. Moses' mother, who even though there was an edict that all of the Hebrew children were to be killed simply because of their ethnicity, Moses' mother disobeys and put Moses in a, a reed basket and floated him down the Nile. 
And as Moses grows up, God calls him and he becomes the liberator of God's people. Look at this great cloud of witnesses, the writer to the Hebrews says. And there are more. He says, and what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fires, escaped by the edge of the sword, and won strength out of weakness. Look at the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds you, the preacher says. But it's not just these recognizable heroes of faith, these recognizable names and characters. The preacher also mentions those whose names have been lost to history, but they too endured things. They endured persecutions just as this community was, and they kept going. Those ordinary, everyday saints. They too are part of the cloud of witnesses because it's not just Peter, Paul, and Mary, not the band. It's not just Peter, Paul, and Mary that are in that cloud of witnesses, but it's ordinary people. It's Sunday school teachers. It's parents. It's grandparents. It's uh, those people who uh, go to do things like clean sweep and go down to Detroit to work for, for compassion and justice down there. It's all sorts of ordinary people who are also the saints. And they are part of that great cloud of witnesses. We all have bucket lists, right? I have a bucket list that has some things on it as well. And one of those is uh, that I want to go skydiving someday. And and Heather said, no, you're a a dad and a husband, so you're doing no such thing. Um, (laughs) But one of the other things on my bucket list is maybe a little bit more kind of something you'd expect for a pastor to have on there. It's to go someday and to worship at Uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa's Episcopal Church in San Francisco. Now, St. Gregory's became famous because they're known for their creative and inventive uh, liturgy. They also became famous because an author named Sarah Miles, uh, who was an atheist who had no religion whatsoever, uh, walked into St. Gregory's one day out of journalistic curiosity, received communion, and is now an Episcopal priest. Um, So, No one can ever tell me that communion is only for those who are already in the faith. It's for everybody. Um, They also became famous because they have this mural, Sandy, if you want to bring that up, that surrounds their worship space. This is the the Dancing Saints of St. Gregory of Nyssa's. And um, you have 90 larger-than-life saints. You have some animals. You have the sun and the moon. Uh, You have all kinds of things in there. But then you have uh, Christ, Dancing Christ, there at the center. Um, They often dance in their liturgies around. So as the saints above worship, the saints below also worship. And so in this uh, Dancing Saints mural, you have uh, your everyday, the saints that we would all recognize. But then you also have people that we may not normally associate with being a saint, people who may not even be Christians at all. So people like Anne Frank, there's an Anne Frank uh, dancing in this uh, mural. There is a the, the famous rabbi, Abraham Joshua Heschel. There's Rumi, the, the Muslim mystic. There are social activists, people like Cesar Chavez. There are uh, Christian and faith reformers. There are all sorts of people, mathematicians, philosophers, scientists. They're all in this mural that surrounds the saints as they worship. There's even a living saint, uh, Desmond Tutu, who is, the of course, the uh, great apart- post-apartheid leader in South Africa. The, the saints above Worship with the saints below. It's not only uh, 
artwork, but it is visually represented theology as they describe it. Um, Seeing all of these saints, these extraordinary figures of faith surrounding the ordinary everyday saints, they say that uh, you need to have a miracle to qualify for sainthood, but you don't need to pick your head up and preach a sermon on repentance to be, for that to qualify as a miracle. I think that the, you can take that down now, Sandy. I think that the, the miracles that require, are required for sainthood are revealed in everyday acts of love and grace and compassion and justice, that those are what make people saints. And, and each one of us has those people that surround us. People, not just those extraordinary figures of faith, those people that are mediated through the scriptures or mediated through history, but also those people that are in your own life that are anything but ordinary to you because they have supported you. They have helped shape and form you into who you are. And I know we just finished our Mr. Rogers series, and I'm not wearing my cardigan today, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, <laughs> But if you'll forgive me one final Mr. Rogers reference, and I promise that'll be it for a while. So when Mr. Rogers received his Lifetime Achievement Award in the late 90s, uh, he got up on stage and he said that there are a lot of people who brought me to this point. And you all have a lot of people in your own lives that have brought you to where you are, who have helped to make you who you are. He says, let's just take 10 seconds to think about who those people are in your life. And I'll keep the time for us. So let's take 10 seconds. Who are those saints in your life? 10 seconds. I think I gave you 12, which is still not enough to reflect on all of those people who have helped you to become who you are, those saints in your life that cloud of witnesses that surrounds you, that surrounds this community. I think what's amazing to me is that just as you have a cloud of witnesses that surrounds you, each and every one of you is also in a cloud of witnesses for somebody else. Someone who has influenced and loved and cared for and nurtured and challenged and helped someone become who they are called to be, who God calls them to be. That we are, at all moments of our lives, surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that supports us, strengthens us, and helps us to keep going, helps us to see Christ. That we do not stand on our own strength, but we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And so, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes fixed always on Christ who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Thanks be to God. Amen.